0: Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Bellew, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Baloo. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. Hi, Kristen. How are the Azores today? How are
1: my favorite goats? And also, of course, Eric. (laughs) Uh, We're great. Thank you for asking. Goats are great. Um, They, like myself, are very excited for spring. But You know, the weather has been so moody here, like Mm -hmm. very dramatic clouds and rainstorms, which I feel like is so fitting for the Scorpio full moon, super moon eclipse that's happening right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that photo that you shared on social media the other day, you know, with that stormy sky was just Mm -hmm. such a mood. I could almost feel the like electric hum of the photo, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. I've been wanting one of those thunderstorms here where the sky just like turns green, like from my like Michigan past. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure, you know, we're both Scorpio risings. I know I am, but I'm sure we both are just feeling it with this Taurus and Scorpio eclipse axis, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, they say you're not supposed to do much gardening during eclipses, sort of like how some warn that we shouldn't do spell work during eclipses. But Mm -hmm. I just believe in working with whatever free time you have. And so I've been in the greenhouse the past couple of days planting and transplanting all the things because most of the seedlings uh, we had started earlier this spring died when we went to California. So I feel the pressure to fill the garden right now. So, you know, maybe
0: this is me inventing things, but I kind of feel like the greenhouse might work like a protected and shielded place, if you know what I mean.
1: Yes, I like that thought. (laughs) I'm curious, are you working with any seasonal plants right now or have any, I don't know, plant-related plans for litha?
0: Mm, you know, I've been working a little magic with Lady's Mantle, which has been really mm. interesting. Um, and I know that we talked about her with uh, Val of Woodspell Apothecary um, a couple yeah. of months ago. You know, and of course, my ally, Oak, um, I'll definitely need to spend a little bit of time with over the solstice. And and we'll actually just talk more about Oak in a bit here.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward. I can't wait to talk more plants today. Same. And so,
0: last year on the solstice, we spoke about standing stones, the sacred spiral, and solar rituals. So, listeners, if any of this speaks to you, head on over to Season 1, Episode 30, Litha and the Summer Solstice.
1: Yes, but listeners, today we're in the spring planting mood. So, I want to revisit lunar gardening, which... I think I might have touched on in season one um, and how to work with nature and plant cycles according to celestial rhythms um, and also the garden as an altar.
0: And I'll be talking about the plant and more than human symbols of this time of year. Here's to the magic of summer solstice.
1: of gardening as a spell, and the physical garden as your altar. Because putting your hands in the soil, working with Gaia, watching a seed sprout, grow, flower, fruit, and then create and drop seeds for the cycle to begin again is nothing short of magic. More specifically, I associate gardening with elemental magic. We're obviously working directly with the earth, Water is crucial for any type of plant existence, fire too, we need the sun if we're going to grow anything, and even air because I don't think gardening would do as well without the wind. Wind carries seeds and pollen and pollinators and can also rid plants of pests. The wind makes our plants work a little harder so they're stronger, more resilient, which is why our house plants or greenhouse plants will often wilt and sometimes die when moved outside. Gardening also involves working with the element of spirit because in my opinion, gardening can absolutely put you in touch with the divine.
0: It really is a spiritual process.
1: Absolutely, and You know i'm here talking about lunar gardening today and i want to touch on some of the science behind it and all that practical stuff but i also have to talk about the magical bits because gardening really does feel like an offering to the goddess both in the lunar and earth mother sense that's why i like to treat my garden as i treat my altar when the moon is waxing it said the earth is breathing out In the ritual sense, we plant intentions at this time, we focus on increase and expansion, growing things, and we do the same in our garden altar. When the moon is ascending or waxing, aka getting bigger, we're going to physically plant seeds in the ground, usually for above ground flowering or fruiting plants. So think strawberries, broccoli, tomatoes, almost any type of flower. While the moon waxes, plants receive more light during nighttime hours, encouraging them to focus on outward and upward growth. Since we have approximately two weeks for the moon to keep waxing, we might also want to pay attention to what constellation the moon is passing through. Truthfully, I will plant seeds anytime the moon is waxing, but for those who want to take it a step further, the book Biodynamic Gardening by Monty Walden says, quote, Each time the moon passes through a constellation, the element that's associated with it—earth, water, air, or fire—is stimulated on Earth in one of the four main plant organs—root, leaf, flower, or fruit-slash-seed." So, right now, as we record, the moon is passing through Scorpius or Scorpio, which is associated with the leaf organ of a plant. The book says Scorpio is, quote, the most versatile sign under which to work leaf crops in either hemisphere, and especially for sowing them up to a full moon, end quote. That means anytime the moon is moving through Scorpio, Pisces, or Cancer, the water signs, this is considered a leaf day. Crops like lettuce or herbs like parsley, um, plants that we harvest for their leaves, should be tended to at this time if we're following a lunar gardening schedule. I won't get into specifics, but there are also fruit days, which apply to fire signs, Sagittarius, Aries, and Leo. Root days, which is when the moon is moving through earth signs like Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo. And flower days, which happens when the moon is moving through air signs, so Gemini, Aquarius, and Libra. And side note here, if you're a flower witch or somebody who loves freshly cut flowers, flowers cut on flower days, so again when the moon is moving through an air sign, will last longer and be more fragrant than flowers cut during other times. I love
0: this. And I bet those days are such potent days to make flower essences too.
1: Absolutely. They must be. That's a really great question. I'll have to look that up. Mm. Back to moon phases, back to our altar. Now it's nearly a full moon. Just like during a full moon, we're harvesting our intentions via ritual or spell work of some sort. If our intentions you know, have come into fruition, that is. So the full moon is a great time to harvest some things in the garden as well. Full moons are a popular harvest time for many above ground fruiting plants. And this all has to do with the moon's gravitational pull and its influence over our water tables. Since the gravitational pull is strong at a full moon, water content, um, you know, pretty much everything is pulled up to the top, so your tomatoes and your berries will be juicier if harvested on the full moon. And it goes the other way for harvesting root crops on the full moon, I should say, because the high water content means they will have a greater chance of spoiling and they won't store as well. I've also heard some people say that the best time to germinate or plant seeds is a few days before the full moon. Again, this is because the lunar energy's uh, gravitational pull is at its strongest, which draws water up to the top of plants and seeds and also the soil. When the moon starts to wane, gravitational pull begins to ebb and the water goes back down into the roots of a plant. This is a great time to plant root crops, potatoes, carrots garlic, onion, ginger, um, turmeric, what have you. Mm -hmm. While plants are focused inward at our garden altar, so are we with our spell work. We're not so much focused on outward expansion, but decrease, what we can get rid of, what's holding us back and weighing us down. As the moon nears crescent and then dark, we might be focused on vanishing, cutting cords or root development. And that's exactly what we mimic in the plant world. You know, we're pruning, we're giving um, our plant homemade pest repellent, lots and lots of weeding and nurturing the soil.
0: Kristen, I have to say that all of this beautiful information on lunar gardening makes me a little bit jealous of the country which is out there. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. Um, and I just can't wait to see images from your garden this summer. Yeah. I would love to share some additional symbols of the season that we can work with magically and these can be woven into a lunar gardening practice um, and can also just be, you know, reminders of the season's potent power. Of course, midsummer is the time of the sun. In contrast to the idea of lunar gardening, however, you know, we can't have one without the other, and many myths speak about the relationship between these two celestial orbs and the balance of their passing through the sky. At the summer solstice, the sun stands still. I love tree magic, and so as far as Herbal friends, during this time go, I have to mention my herbal ally, oak. Oak is life, protection, strength, and portal magic. The oak is linked with the summer solstice in folklore and legend as the doorway into our inner realms and the new cycle of the year that is about to begin. Folklore teaches us that the summer solstice is the festival of the oak king. And in myth, there is an ongoing conflict, or I like to think of it as a dance, between the oak king and the holly king, one superseding the other at each solstice with each ruling for six months. This myth could be summarized as the battle between these opposite powers, winter and summer, darkness and light. If you can, during this time of year, look for an oak tree in your garden, in a park, in a picture book that you can build a relationship with and sit with. Traditionally and for generations, people have sat beneath the mighty oak to gain strength and spiritual renewal. Sitting with oak helps to bring the inner world into perspective. It allows for new understanding to grow like the acorn and decisions to be made from a new place of balance. From the herbal world, daisy is a beautiful midsummer herb, referencing love, luck, and good omens. In Norse mythology, the daisy is sacred to the goddess Freya. Freya is the goddess of love, beauty, and fertility, and as such, the daisy symbolizes childbirth, motherhood, and new beginnings. Daisies are sometimes given to congratulate new mothers. Daisies also symbolized chastity and transformation because of the Roman myth of Vertumnus and Belides. Vertumnus, god of seasons and gardens, became obsessed with Belides, a nymph. He continuously pursued her, and in order to escape his affections, she turned herself into a daisy. Daisy's scientific name, Belus, stems from this story. I love that. Making a daisy chain on the summer solstice is a beautiful way to connect with daisies magic. Folklore says that if you put daisies under your pillow, an absent lover will return. Playing the they love me, they love me not on a daisy's petals is also a time-honored tradition. From our more-than-human family, there are bees, which signify abundance, messengers from the spirits, new life, and sweetness. Bees have been tied to the sun since ancient times as they were believed to be the tears of Ra, the Egyptian sun god. A handful of years ago, I went to the Museum of Jurassic Technology in L.A., which is one of my most favorite museums ever, but listeners who have been, let me know. Um, But there, I'll never forget about learning of the telling of the bees. So, from an article on JSTOR called Telling the Bees by Colleen English, quote, This practice of telling the bees may have its origins in Celtic mythology, where the presence of a bee after a death signified the soul leaving the body, but the tradition appears to have been the most prominent in the 18th and 19th centuries in the U.S. and Western Europe, but this ritual involves notifying bees of major events in the beekeeper's life, such as a death or marriage. While the traditions vary from country to country, telling the bees always involved notifying the insects of a death in the family so that the bees could share in the morning. This generally entailed draping each hive with black crepe or some other shred of black. It was required that the sad news be delivered to each hive individually by knocking once and then verbally relaying the tale of sorrow." End quote.
1: Yeah, and I I believe that in some cases, uh, it's said to be bad luck if you don't tell the bees, Mm -hmm. uh, because they're seen as kind of like a family guardian of sorts.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, I saw in some places that the bees might like leave or abandon you if you didn't sort of clue them in. I love thinking of them as family guardians, like little bee ancestors. Mm -hmm. Um, And Kristen, I know you love the rites of Eleusis and bees have their hands in these mysteries as well. In ancient Greece, these rites centered around the goddess Demeter and the great mother deity. These rites were assisted by um, priestesses called the priestesses of the bees and their role is still a mystery to this day. But the priestesses of Artemis were called melissa nomoi or beekeepers as well
1: oh i love that i've never heard that before
0: mm-hmm. during you know this time of the summer solstice let bees remind you of your own sweetness and honey ask them to take your messages to the beyond and to your loved ones and remember that bees work on behalf of the whole and for the good of the collective a little bit of hive magic for you The horse is also a summer symbol related to power, sexual energy, and strength. I actually wrote an article on Magic and Alchemy about the horse a while back, but you can find more there. But from the article, the horse is a symbol of the wilderness. Picture their regal stature in your mind's eye, wild horses careening over the crest of a hill a pony in a faraway field, or the strength of a horse as it beats its hooves against a stone path towards its destination. The horse comes to us in present day from a journey of 50 million years of evolution. We tamed some horses while some remained wild, and horses have worked in partnerships with human beings in travel, war, agriculture, and labor. The Horse Knows Us across the barren, the lush, and the in-between of history. Horses pierce the veil of folklore and of our collective consciousness. They gallop across the pages of our sacred texts and myths, and the horse appears to remind us of our own inner strength. This is not brute strength, but rather a steady strength. The horse knows how to tap into inner resilience to move swiftly across the mountain. The horse asks us to know ourselves capable and to not delay in action. On the back of the horse, the knight is able to slay the dragon. The horse is the vehicle for facing down fear. The horse knows the importance of fear and the importance of the next evolution on the other side of fear. Where in your life do you feel restrained? Horse asks us. The horse knows what true freedom, expression, and authenticity feel like. They embody it with each step they take, demonstrating extreme presence. How in your life can you break free of restraint, and what exists beyond the walls of what you've already known? Change is scary, but not changing is even more frightening. During the summer solstice, ride horses back on your way to freedom. And finally, of summer solstice symbols, our friends, the butterflies. Butterflies are connected to the ever-moving and flowing cycles of rebirth and also have and conjure a deep connection to the soul. Much like bees, butterflies can be seen as messages or messengers from the beyond, or even a symbol of the soul itself, traveling back earthside to say hello. Butterflies can paint pictures of transformation and process. I often think about the quote in Be Here Now by Ram Das, where he wrote, "'It's only when caterpillarness is done that one becomes a butterfly.'" That again is part of this paradox. You cannot rip away caterpillarness. The whole trip occurs in an unfolding process of which we have no control. Quote. Butterflies can teach us these lessons. We become ourselves at the rate that it happens, and there's nothing to be forced, everything in its time, much like the sun and cycles themselves. Across all of these symbols of solstice and litha, I hear messages of both strength and softness, love and metamorphosis. I hear a reminder that here, at the peak of the sun, we can connect to our own inner strength that has been with us the whole time, the entire cycle. And in doing so, we can shine brighter, Love more deeply, and inhabit and grow and bloom into our most authentic selves.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lisenby and Kate Ballew. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballew. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to
0: next week's episode where we talk about fire magic. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time.